All right, let's see, kiddos, if you'd like to be dismissed for Children's Church, you can follow, looks like, Jennifer and Sheena out the back. All right, as those guys are going out, if you have your Bibles with you, if you would turn to Philippians chapter 2. Um, and I wanted, boy, I wanted to talk to you today a lot about just how dramatic the change has to be in the life of a believer from the time before we knew Christ to, boy, just a, just a continuous change that just has to be happening in us um, because of the power of, of the gospel, because of the power of the cross. Um, um, as God continues His work in us, not just at the time of our, of our initial salvation at that moment of conversion, but the continual work that God, can, that God does in us after the, that moment of conversion until really until the time that we um, are together with Him um, in the holy city, but um, and get to get rid of these fallen bodies, fallen minds, and uh, and and get a glorified one. So um, anyway, but I, I wanted to I wanted to talk to you today about um, about putting on the mind of Christ and imitating Him, and about how important that is. Because like like we just kind of talked about during the during the announcement time, is that what has happened, what God has done, has absolutely changed everything. He has altered the course of mankind. He has brought forth a means that we can be reconciled to our Heavenly Father when we were absolutely lost. And what Brenda said about the term lost, I learned a lot from her that she learned from uh, women of faith, but that, that idea about lostness in the New Testament is, a, is, 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 is destruction. It's something that's been, it's hopeless. There is, there's, there's annihilation. It's lost beyond repair. It's useless. And that's where you and I were. But now in Christ, everything is different. Everything has changed. We're now no longer lost, but we're, what do we like to sing? Is we're found. We've been found by him. He has redeemed us by the ransom that Jesus Christ paid on the, on the cross. And uh, even more so, then God exalted the Lord Jesus um, and proved that his, his, his pleasure uh, in Jesus' obedience by raising him from the dead and then also raising him above every name, above every place in heaven and on earth, um, at, at his right hand in, in heaven. So um, we're going to read really quickly through Romans or through Philippians 2 because I want to kind of get to the part about putting on the, this, the, the attitude that, that Christ um, showed. So anyway, in Philippians chapter 2, we're going to read the majority of this chapter. But um, anyway, so here, go through it with me, and I'll try to, I'll, I'll just kind of talk through it as we go through. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ... Um, you know, if, if you don't spend a lot of time meditating on the Scriptures and meditating on what it means uh, that, that, that about being in the cross, about, about um, um, receiving the, the forgiveness that's come, this, this term, united with Christ, would be a great place for you to start. Just to search through the Scriptures about every time that Paul writes about us being united with Christ, that would be a great place for you to just turn in your thesaurus. That's not the right term. Turn in your, uh, your, your um, what is that term? Your little dictionary in the back? Concordance, thank you, thesaurus, oh my goodness. Um, and your concordance, and look up United, or that term United with Christ, or if you have the Bible app, of course, that's really much easier. Uh, but about being united with Christ, and just think and ponder about what that means, because you can spend the rest of your days, and we won't figure this all out until the other side of eternity, but it's a beautiful thing to think about, and something that will change your life. Amen? Amen. Um, if any comfort from his love, okay, again, um, think, to think and ponder about the, 
boy, just that we've talked this morning about, you know, God's love for us is just absolutely, it's, we know it's unconditional. We don't think about that very often. Probably should think about it more. But it was absolutely unquenchable, his love for us. It, despite all of our sins, despite all of our failures, despite the, the way that even in ways that we don't understand ourselves, that we've tread on and rebelled against him and turned our back on him and turned toward to worshiping creation and created things instead of worshiping him. And in Jeremiah chapter 2, it says that we exchanged the glory for God for created things, for idols. Um, and, and yet his love for us was unquenched. He still wanted us. He still desired us. He still loved us with a chesed or an agape kind of a love. And he still came after us because of his great love. That's something else, boy, it would be great for you to ponder and, and just to think and meditate on. If any fellowship with the Spirit, I'm going to stop doing this. I'll do this at every phrase. But anyway, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete. And he's going to talk here now. He's going to talk about being, about having unity in the body of Christ. Listen to what he says. Now, being like-minded, he says several things about being one. Like-minded, having the same mind, the same thoughts towards things, having the same love, having, being one in the Spirit and one in purpose. So he talks about four things that we're supposed to be unified about. Like-minded, the same love, one spirit, and one purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in, vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Well, if this is opposite and ba- backwards from what the world teaches, this is it, isn't it? Consider other people better than yourselves. Um, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And then he's going to spend the rest of the chapter ta- talking about how Christ exemplified this attitude that Paul's talking about here. He's saying you ought to be humble and you ought to be unified. And a matter of fact, in verse 5, he said, your attitude should be the same of that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So what's Paul saying here? He says, you ought to have the same humility that Jesus Christ had. And what kind of humility did Jesus Christ had? Even though he was God, he limited his power and authority. He limited his position and he lowered himself to be the point of a servant. And he dwelt among people, and people looked at him, and they never saw nothing very spectacular about him except when he opened his mouth to teach or raised his hand in healing. Otherwise, no one ever saw anything spectacular about the man, very um, un, um, unimpressive uh, until they heard what he said and saw what he did. But he humbled himself to the point that he was a servant. And not only that, but he humbled himself to the point of death. Okay, the God of all creation visits his creation and his creation, and God allows his creation to kill and to crucify him. And not just to kill and crucify in the just very kind of benign way that we do today in, the, in, in, in uh, criminal justice, but in the most humiliating and excruciating way that mankind has ever devised. He was treated like a common criminal. He was spat upon. He was mocked. He was beaten. Uh, People hurled insults at him, and yet he never raised his voice. He never answered back, oh, you just wait, (laughs) right? He never said like you and I would, right? Oh, you just wait. You know, I I can light thunderbolts from my fingertips, and I'm coming for you, right? That's kind of how you and I are. But he, in humility, never said a thing back, and he died on the cross serving in perfect obedience to his father, doing exactly what he and his father had come up with from the beginning or even before the beginning of the the, uh, creation and laid his life down for us. Therefore, 
God exalted him, not only back to life, but also to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that's the kind of love, that's the kind of humility that we're supposed to have so that we're supposed to put on in imitating our Lord Jesus. Therefore, my friends, as you always have, have always obeyed, not only in my presence but also much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So what's he saying here is that there's something for you and I to continue to do. There's something for you and I to continue in. This, this moment of, of, of uh, salvation is not just a point in time that you have a story that, you know, 20 years ago I gave my life to Christ and, you know, it's been pretty much the same ever since. No, there's continual work for us to do. And in one of the great um, uh, things, Clay and I were talking about, one of these great truths that are kind of held in tension, Paul says there's something for you to do. Work out your salvation. Work it out, matter of fact, with fear and trembling. Be serious about working out your salvation. And he says something that's seemingly contradictory in the very next verse because he says, for it is God who works in you. What? Now, now who's working? Who was who that? Was it God or was it me? I'm confused now. And people fall on both sides of the fence here. But the truth is this, is that there's something for us to continue to do to work on our, our salvation, or the previous verse, verse 12, wouldn't exist. But it's God who works in us. Somehow those are both true. There's something for us to do in cooperating with God in His redeeming work and His sanctifying work. And what is the sanctifying work of God in us? It is to make us look and act and behave and our attitude and the way that we treat people and the things that we pursue, the things that we hold as important, the things that we value, to be more and more and more like the firstborn. The Son, Jesus Christ. We're supposed to be and look and act more and more like Him. For it is God, in verse 13, who works in you to will and to act according to His good purpose. Verse 14, do everything without complaining or arguing. Far be it from church people to argue, right? Even, right, okay. Back in the Old Testament, you know, the, the, the Israelites grumbled a lot, but thankfully we've gotten over it in the church age. Not really. That's sarcasm. So that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. What's Paul saying here? He says, you guys hold out and you work out your salvation and you're going to shine like stars as you hold out the truth of the gospel. You hold out the truth of God. And he says, and when you do that, I won't be ashamed of you. I'll look to you and all the effort that I've poured into you to teach you how to live like Christ. And I'll be so proud of you and your effort in following the Lord Jesus. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and serve coming from your, and service coming from your faith, I, glad, I am glad and rejoice with all of you, so you too should rejoice with me. Let's continue one more paragraph and we'll quit. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. That I, okay, we believe that um, um, Philippians was written while Paul was in prison in Rome, one of the first imprisonment in Rome. And, uh, uh, and so he was unable to go and visit some of these places that he had been and that he had um, served and had built the church. And so he was sending other people. And so he hoped he could send Timothy, who was his spiritual son, uh, to him soon, that he may be in the next part of verse 19, that I, I may also be cheered when I receive news about you. I have, listen, here's, here's kind of the point I want to get to, and then we'll kind of, uh, I'll kind of finish up here. I have no one else like him 
who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. That's an interesting statement. Here, Paul the Apostle, missionary, served all over the world, all over the kind of the known world, went everywhere and taught and preached and, um, and was served by people everywhere he went. He was opposed by people too, but he had his own kind of posse of people who went with him at different times, different people at different times, and Timothy was amongst them. But listen to what he says, I have no one like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. Now, I think this goes with the previous section where he's talking about, about us having more concern than just for ourselves, but being concerned about others. And Paul says, there's no one like Timothy who's concerned about you folks, you, the church in Philippi, the saints in Philippi. There, I've got no one like him. Now, why is that? I, I, don't, really, I don't really know. Um, maybe it was because he was, he was there and, and he was um, in prison and there was just no one else that was with him. It's, a, it's apparent as you continue to read some of those letters that he's there and there are some in the house of Caesar who are, are Christians or Christ followers. Uh, but they, he has no one else who has that concern for the Philippians like, like Timothy does. Look what he says in verse 22. It's even more shocking. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him... Um, I'm sorry, I skipped verse 21, didn't I? That's what I meant. For everyone looks out for his own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. Isn't that a stunning thing for Paul to say? He was traveling with people. He was traveling with folks who were, who were um, assisting him in the gospel. And yet he says this, everyone looks out for his own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. I read a few commentaries. One of them said, well, maybe they're talking about the world. You know, in the world, there's just people out for their own interest. Uh, it, it doesn't appear that way to me. It appears that he's talking about, I mean, he's talking about Timothy, who's one of the guys who's with him, one of the guys who's helping him. And, in, and uh, he says, no one else like him takes a genuine interest for everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope therefore to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. We'll stop there, although we could read about Epaphroditus, which would be cool too, but we'll stop there. But here's kind of the point, and here's what I want to get to. In this idea that the gospel changes everything, that the cross has changed everything, that Jesus' resurrection has changed everything in my life and in your life and really in the history of the world, uh, is this, is that there are people who are more changed than others. There are people who, like Timothy and Paul, who have a, who have a, have a very specific calling, but more than that, they have an attitude that's like Jesus Christ, and in humility, they think of other people as being more important than themselves. They have a greater concern than the gospel than they do for their own interests. There are some folks who advance a little faster or advance a little more in their work of, of sanctification and who begin to look a little bit more like Christ in some areas than, than some do the rest of us, yeah? Um, and, and here's what I have for you this morning is that um, I, I'm wondering, and, I, and I, I, just as I was, it was, we were sitting in worship this morning, I think there's more going on maybe today than just in, in this message about humility. I think maybe that there's, maybe, maybe you're here this morning, and you've been wearing an attitude um, that is not Christ-like. And uh, I, I think maybe, maybe I'm just flat wrong. My discernment is just terrible. I'll just be real honest. But uh, there's, some, there's a lot of people much more discerning. This wall, for example, much more discerning than I am. But uh, but I think that maybe some of you are sick of it and you're ready to put on something else. And I don't know what that is for you, 
Um, you know, a lot of times we can put on an attitude that is our own sin. We can put on something, we can cover ourselves with something that maybe is lust or maybe is envy. Or maybe we've put on something that, that is so not what we're called to put on in Christ. As a matter of fact, it really kind of profanes as, we, as we've been saved and set apart, made holy by Jesus Christ. We put on something that is not Jesus Christ over that, and, and we have an attitude of anger or unforgiveness. And maybe we're ready, maybe you're ready this morning to take that off and do something that doesn't profane his name, but something that's honoring to him this morning. Yes, ma'am. That's oh, okay. That's okay. All right. But maybe you're ready this morning because you realize that, you've, you, you, that you're done with this, that you want something more. You want to honor Christ with your life, and, but instead you've been putting on something else that's not honoring. And, and maybe this morning you're ready to give that up. Um, I just want to offer just a little bit of time here. This evening. Would you, Jason, would you go ahead and start that? And let's just spend a little bit of time in prayer. And I, I may be flat wrong here. It happens all the time. But I just want to offer to you this morning that m- maybe you've been wearing anger or unforgiveness, or, or maybe you've been wearing fear, and um, instead of wearing something that is um, something that is, has been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ, something that has been made holy, and something that really reflects Him instead of you, uh, maybe the Lord Jesus is calling you to put on a different attitude this morning. So I, I want to offer you to that this morning. Um, would you just bow your heads with me and we'll pray together and I want to ask you right there where you're sitting or, or if you'd like to come up and, and kneel at the altar if you'd like to come up and pray with me or um, if we have some other folks come up we can I invite some of our other leaders to come up and pray with some folks but um, this morning I want to ask you um, has Jesus changed everything for you? Have you allowed him to? Uh, have you been carrying something that you're just sick of that you know it's not honoring to him? You know that it's not where God wants you to be I just want to offer this morning for a time of repentance for you. God calls his people to repentance just every, every, you can't hardly turn the page of the scriptures without seeing it, and and it hasn't stopped for us. Just because you're a believer doesn't mean you're supposed to stop repenting as you and I continue to find out that, that, uh, that we need to continue to change, and we need to continue to grow, and we need to continue to be more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. But if that's you this morning, I want to I invite you this morning to take off what you're wearing and ask Jesus for something something brand new for you, something that's holy, something that, that is, reflects his image and not yourself. I just want to ask you that this morning. If that's you, would you come on and, uh, and you're free to come to the altar here this morning or come and pray with me. I'd be happy to pray with you and uh, allow the Lord to do his work because he desires better than that for you. Would you come on? All right. Well, thank you for being here this morning. I asked my mom permission to kind of share what the Lord was doing in her. Really showed her at Women of Faith that uh, that uh, she's kind of been dealing with some fears and anxiety, and just He's been really showing her that uh, she can let go of those and uh, can really trust Him. And then just the truth that He's accepted her as she is. Uh, just a beautiful thing about our God, isn't He? Didn't make us clean up or figure things out before He's like, mm, maybe now. He didn't do that. He just loved us as we were. And, uh, and accepts us that way. Incredible truth of the scriptures. So, all right. Well, let's do. Let's let's uh, let's all stand and uh, and pray, and we'll dismiss. And uh, let's see, Scott. Yes, sir. Lyndon Johnson.